0: This evening we will be looking at <clears throat> Proverbs 16, and as often happens on a Sunday evening as we come to the close of a year, I'd like us to be, to be thinking about this scripture in the light of a new year to come, of trusting the Lord in the past year and trusting Him for the year to come. We're going to be breaking off from Proverbs for a while, Mark will be preaching for us next week, and then... Uh, We're going to do something a little different, starting at the first of the year. uh, Duncan and I will be preaching together, tag team as it were, not the same evening, um, through the book of Nehemiah, about the building of the walls and the establishment of God's people. And so this evening I'd like us to look at living in the light of the Lord in Proverbs 16. If you please would give attention to the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Proverbs chapter 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness. Iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are a delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is the messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. A worker's appetite works for him, his mouth urges him on. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would use your word that by your word and your spirit, you would convict us of our sin, that you would teach us to trust in you, to hope based on your promises. This we ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, as I said, the end of the year, the beginning of a new year is a good time to take stock of our life, not just what we have accomplished in the big picture, not just all of the things that have come to pass, but rather to think about how the Lord has worked in our lives and to look forward to what He will do. And so this time of year is perfect for rehearsing for ourselves the nature of God and how His nature affects who we are and how we are to live. And so, this evening, I'd like us to see two things briefly. The first foundational principle of the Sovereign Lord. That the Lord our God is sovereign. And then secondly, what flows from that is our living under the Sovereign Lord. You see, how we live is affected by our understanding of who the Lord is. When we know and see that He is sovereign, that He is in control... It influences, it takes charge, if you will, of our lives. And I think that's what Proverbs 16 is explaining to us in its couplets. Proverbs 16 begins by describing God and his sovereignty. Look with me, if you would, at verses 1 through 5. The first thing that we see is, I think, the answer to the question, how is God sovereign? What does... This mean there are a great many opinions about the nature of God and His sovereignty. There are some who think that God is not able to see into the future, that He is as mysterious, that He is as in wonder of things that happen to us as we might be, that He has no ability to plan or influence. On the other end of the scale, there are some who say that we have no ability at all to think and do and act and that God simply treats us like automatons. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. And specifically, that's not what the beginning of Proverbs 16 teaches. What Proverbs teaches is that God is sovereign and He is sovereign in a way in which we live our lives, in which we act and have responsibility and in which He ultimately guides us in our paths. The very first thing we see is in verse 1, that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. As we first look at this, it seems mysterious. How can I do all of the planning and God not be in on it? And if that's true, how can He be in complete control of my speech? How do I execute my plan except for by speaking and acting? We want to say, Solomon, you're a little bit mixed up here. Explain this to me. And I think this is in a nutshell of what we look at of the biblical principles of the absolute sovereignty of God and of the responsibility of man. You see, our thoughts and our words and our actions are not independent of God. See, this passage actually shows a good balance that God is sovereign and he is in control, but he acts through us that we are not compelled or forced to do certain things. But in the end, as we look back, we see that he is the one who has set the words. He is the one who has laid the plans into our heart. This is an important thing for us to think about as we plan for the future. You see, we can make two easy errors. We can say God is sovereign and He's in control, and so therefore I will plan nothing. I'll just see what happens in the next year. Or else we can say, you know our words are our own. I'm going to worry and fret all year long because everything depends on me. And the Bible teaches us to trust in the Lord and His plans, and in doing that, we are to take Cognizance of our own responsibility and our own plans. This is how the Lord works. God is sovereign not only over our thoughts and our words, but even over our ways. In verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The proverb is teaching us that we cannot view ourselves objectively. When was the last time that you said, you know, I just think I'm wrong. I think I need to listen to other people more and do what they say and not what I think. I think my plans are messed up. No. What happens when we are challenged about what we think or what we plan? Well, we defend ourselves, don't we? This is the reason why I was doing this. This was a good thought process. But you see, the reason why we are unable to view ourselves objectively is because we cannot really get at Our own motives. God understands our motives. He can see. He knows and observes. But what is our hope then? Our hope then is in the Lord. For if we cannot understand objectively our motives, we must seek the Lord. We must pray to the Lord to purify our motives, to purify our hearts. This is what is on David's lips all the time. If we understand God as sovereign, we will seek him. God is sovereign over our ways. He's also sovereign over all our affairs. Look at verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We must first and foremost recognize God's sovereignty. And if we do that, we will gain a great peace by committing our way to the Lord, by committing all of the things that we are to do to the Lord. Now, think about that in a very practical way today. Are you ready today to commit next year's education to God? Regardless of whether you get unforeseen tests. Regardless of whether you get the teacher that you desire. Are you ready to commit this year's work to the Lord? Regardless of what the price of oil is. Regardless of how companies operate. Are you willing to commit your next year of marriage to the Lord? Regardless of how your spouse will be in health. Or in state of mind. Or in state of argument. Are you willing to commit each and everything of your year to come. To a sovereign. Loving God. If you are then you will have great peace, won't you? You won't fret about the economy. You won't worry about your relationships. You will commit them to the Lord and know that He is sovereign over all your affairs, over all things. You see, verse 4 tells us that God is even sovereign over the wicked. Even those who seek to escape Him, to be out from under His rule, the Scripture tells us that God is sovereign over all There is nothing that will come into your life in the year to come that God is not sovereign over. When we understand that, it can give us great comfort and peace. The other thing that we need to understand as we think about the sovereign Lord is what our attitudes are that we should have before him. Because understanding God's sovereignty is more than a mental exercise. We must live and think knowing that our Lord is sovereign. Look at verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. If you view God as sovereign, then you must cultivate love in your life. You must be steadfast in your love and faithfulness to Him and to others around you. You must have that attitude permeate all that you do. It's an attitude that is accompanied by looking to the Lord and pleasing Him rather than pleasing men. That's what verse 7 tells us. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. How often do we find ourselves in a state where we are in turmoil Because we're trying to please others around us rather than God. There's a quagmire. There are shifting sands because there are so many different people to please and they change their minds all the time. How do I know what I should do? How do I know the path in which I should take? You see, the proverb says what we are to do is to please the Lord, to seek Him first. And then everything else will fall into place. An attitude that's important to have before a sovereign God is contentment. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Would that America would hear that proverb. I think the American proverb is, better is a lot with anything, as long as I have. You see, we can get so caught up in the rat race of success and of others around us and of our own expectations that we compromise our view of the Lord. And you see, what the Scripture tells us is that it is far better for us to have an attitude of contentment, understanding that every single thing we have comes from the Lord. There is not one thing that you possess that God did not give you. If God is sovereign... There is a reason you don't have an extra car. There is a reason your house is the square feet that it is. There is a reason that you have the job that you have. There is a reason that you have the people around you that you do. It is from God's sovereign hand. And if we understand that, then we can be content with what we have. Because we see it is not just a random accumulation of things. It's not bare chance that we have the relationships that we have. They come to us from the hand of a loving, sovereign Father. This is what it means to see a sovereign God. And when we look and understand the, the principles of who God is, it helps us to understand how we are to live as well. Look with me now, if you would, at verse 16. From verses 16 down to 24, we see a set of Proverbs that describe things, attitudes, ways that we live that please the Lord. Verse 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, is to be chosen rather than silver. The very first thing that we see that pleases the Lord is wisdom. Understanding. Now, we have seen this before in the Proverbs, but we have to remind ourselves what this means. We live, do we not, in an information age, don't we? If I were to say, what's the capital of Romania? Bosnia, Azerbaijan, Nigeria. All of us could very quickly look this information up. It's, it's at our hands everywhere we go. But the accumulation of data, the accumulation of facts, is not wisdom. If it were, then some supercomputer lodged at Google's headquarters would be the wisest thing in the world. No. Wisdom and understanding is moving beyond knowing bare things and using that information in a way that advances the glory of God and advances our understanding of God. And develops our relationships with others. This is wisdom. It is knowing the proper use of information. And the proverb tells us that this is of surpassing value. It is greater than gold or silver. Not just knowing things, but knowing how to use things. In verse 17, we see that one of the things that pleases the Lord is attentiveness. Attentiveness. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Are you attentive to the things that you do? Are you attentive to what God would have you do? It seems that we live in a day and age in which the attention span is so short. Perhaps we understand it best from that very common illustration that virtually all of us are guilty of yours truly included the leaving of the conversation to look down at our phone the constant checking of email the texts the score the news we have no attention i mean have you been in a restaurant lately Watched an entire table of people pay no attention to each other as they all look at their devices. And this goes beyond smartphones. Do we really give attention to our life and to our relationships or are we just going through the motions? You see, the proverb says that the highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Are you looking to see where the evil is before you this year? Are you making intentional steps to turn away from it? Or are you just wandering blithely ahead, not knowing what you will meet? In this year to come, you will face dangers and sin. You must listen to Solomon. You must listen to the Spirit. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. There must be an active looking to the Lord, understanding that God is in control, and seeking Him to carry us through all of the challenges and dangers of life. One other thing that pleases God is humility. Look at verses 18 and 19. First, we're given A condemnation of the opposite, of pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is so proverbial we use it all the time, don't we? We think of someone who is proud and arrogant and we just wait to see... The fall that will come. This is something that goes even beyond biblical literature. It is well steeped in classical literature. We see it in 18th and 19th century novels. We see it even in our modern parlance. It's almost as if we expect at any moment the proud will fall. Because you see, pride makes us vulnerable. Pride is not understanding God's sovereignty. It's thinking we are in control. It's thinking that we know best. There's nothing that makes us more vulnerable than that. Think of all of the biblical illustrations of this. Remember Haman in Esther 6. He's so proud of what he has done and he is going to get Mordecai and he builds this gallows and he is kept wait. To hang Mordecai. And he's so sure he will be successful. Because he has planned each and every step of the way. And then what happens? He's forgotten that God is sovereign. And that God will preserve his people. And he's hanged on his own gallows. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. Who, as the words escape from his lips of his own pride. He is struck, knocked down by the sovereign God. Or think lastly of Peter. The one who boasted that he would never leave the Lord, that he would never deny Jesus. And then picture him weeping after having fallen short. Pride gets the best of us. And so humility an attitude that understands that we are not the ones in control, but that God is, is the safest and most pleasing course to the Lord. We see in verse 20 that God delights in obedience, in seeing His people do His will. And then we see finally in verses 21 through 24 that the Lord is pleased by our gentle nature in instructing others. We use our wisdom to teach others. And with well-meant words that are sweet to the hearer, they become effective. Think about how different the world would be if people generally used gentle instruction rather than force or guile or deception. Well, there are things we need to be warned about as well. There are things that displease the Lord. Look at verse 25. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. What displeases the Lord is self-deception. As we are so certain that we are in the right. Have you ever had the occasion to speak with someone that you knew was wandering down a wrong path? That you knew was doing something that they shouldn't? And even you've shared with them scripture that was very clear. And they look at you and they say, well, the Bible may say that, but, but I feel comfortable with what I'm doing. I have a real peace about it. You see, there's a self-deception that allows us to divorce ourselves from the sovereign God and his commands. And this is a twin to being Self-demanding. Look at verse 26. The appetite of the worker can never be satisfied. Those who are self-deceived can never be content because they don't seek the Lord and they're always wanting more and more and more. And inevitably this leads to spreading strife as we see in verses 27 through 30. Spreading strife through dishonesty and slander. Scorching others as it were with a fire through dishonesty and rumor separating out the closest of friends and even leading others astray, taking them into wickedness. This is a result of not understanding and following the Lord. This is what we see in conclusion of chapter 16. That when we understand who God is, and we understand who we are, and our life and responsibility in light of God's sovereignty, what we know is is that we are called all of our days to trust the Lord. To persevere in what is right. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So the next time someone says to you, you know, you really should dye your hair. You can say, well... I've just been following the Lord. I want to live a righteous life. But all kidding aside, isn't that true? That as we live life and we see experiences, we understand that it is only by trusting the Lord and following in His path and heeding His word that we can even attain to a long and fruitful life. And as we live, as we trust the Lord we must have self-control. Look at verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. If we understand that God is in control, we will be in control. We will not seek to grab things, to rest things, to take control. You see, when we think everything depends upon us, then we become short. We Want to take care of everything right away. There's an interesting illustration of this. Perhaps you've done this or seen someone do this. I know I've done it more than once in my day. When you see someone that is working on a project or a task, for me, it's when someone is trying to do something with computers or electronics. And as you look at them, and finally, as your frustration builds, as you don't think they are capable of doing it, as you don't think anything can happen outside of you, what do you do? You say, get out of my way. Let me take care of this. Just get out of the seat. Right? For you, it may be working with your hands or, or reading or analyzing things. But you see, the one who trusts the Lord and all things are in his hands will not seek to grab that control. Not just in those mundane instances, but in the big and large things of life. And then this is concluded by this last verse that seems almost comical, doesn't it? The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go home And you spend the next year making all of your major decisions by rolling a die. But what I am saying is, is that no matter which way the die falls, God's still in control, isn't he? You see, it's not that the lot is a secret into God's will. It's that they trusted the lot because no matter which way the lot came up, God was still in control. So no matter matter what comes your way this year, do not see it as evidence of God abandoning you, of God being not in control. Lean upon the sovereign Lord and take from his hand what he gives. You'll find contentment and peace. Let's pray.